0: kick is live it is tuesday night august 30th Year of our lord 2022 this is the time of week when we're headed into week one where my excitement starts to shift a little bit to fear not for myself but for you guys because i know some of your hearts are about to be broken and you're not ready for it because you're favored in week one and you've already looked past week one and you have no business doing that with week one we will discuss and dissect tonight we're jam-packed we're high atop just a glowing downtown nashville tennessee beautiful day today Where are those upsets coming? I'm not talking about necessarily Florida over Utah. We're not talking about that field goal spread nonsense, although there's one game I'm going to touch on that kind of resembles that. I'm talking about the Georgia State over South Carolina out of nowhere elbow off the top rope. Is anybody out there, by the way? Does anyone just... Able to recite off the top of their head the fact that South Carolina is only favored by 12 and a half at home against Georgia State. So yes, let's talk about that in just a second. I got several more week one predictions. I got three more games that we have to break down. The Clemson quarterback situation, I have been fascinated by since spring. And back in spring, Dabo Swinney was disagreeing with us, not on the show per se. We couldn't book him. But uh, in his media availability, he was disagreeing. It sounds like he's coming a little more around to our way of thinking, and our way of thinking is you're going to see Cade Klubnick sooner rather than later, not just as a backup, but maybe even as a starting quarterback at Clemson. All that, plus a Ramen Noodle Express update, and tonight, actually the staff doesn't even know I'm going to do this. At the end of the show, I am going to introduce you, or at least I'm going to tell you about a brand new product that we're going to roll out on this channel probably this weekend as games are going on, that doesn't necessarily involve you seeing me, but it does involve you seeing something that may be very financially beneficial to you, the sports better. I'll leave that for the end of the show. They're watching us in Brownwood, Texas, Columbia, South Carolina, Frankfurt, Germany, probably Kentucky too, and Noonan, Georgia. I can't stress this enough. A lot of you have already heeded, took heed of, headed, took head of my advice on the Instagram channel platform or channel or page whatever you want to call it make sure you're following that thing if you don't have an account go start one just so you can follow my instagram page at late kick josh here's why there's stuff that i give you there specifically on friday nights and then on game days on saturday during the fall you can't get anywhere else you can't get it on twitter you can't get it on the youtube channel you can't get it in podcast here's what happens it's very simple uh, starting this week and every week through the national championship game, we will be at uh, whatever we decide to go to as the biggest game of the week. It is the Every Given Saturday tour. We're starting in Fayetteville, Arkansas this Saturday, Cincinnati, Arkansas. I will have so much behind the scenes stuff for you guys. You will not see it anywhere else. No one gets the access that we do. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But if you are following me on Instagram, at Late Josh, you just keep updating that story throughout the day. I'll post anywhere between. 20 and 40 pieces of content that will never be seen anywhere else. And it's just a fascinating behind-the-curtain look that we're blessed to have, and I want you to have it. So, hey, if you don't care about that, then don't follow. But I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff that we put on there, not to mention Friday Night Lions is back. That's Instagram Live only. We don't do that anywhere else. So there is a big value proposition for you to be following there. Okay, there's also a big value proposition for you to just be careful. Please be careful I want all of you to have a good time this weekend, I really do. And I want all of you to be winners, but you can't be. You're a winner for watching the show, but some of you are just flat out going to be losers because of the team you're pulling for. And uh, some of you know it, and you're ready for it. Others are not ready for it, and that's where I want to dive in tonight, because upsets are coming. As sure as the winter is coming, so too are upsets. And I don't think that everyone has braced themselves. We call this on the show the castaway theory, by the way. We try and invoke as many metaphors that tie into the movie Castaway as possible because I think it really ties into life as a college football fan. For example, think about Tom Hanks. All he's got is Wilson to talk to for years, and he's out there on that island somewhere in the Pacific, and he starts to build that raft. Now, I remember when I watched that movie, how sturdy that raft looked. It's got the best wood on the island. I mean, it's tied together with VHS tape. What more adhesive could you possibly need? And it looks like it's ready until it goes out onto the open sea. Then you find out what the ocean does to man-made rafts. Uh, It batters it pretty thoroughly, doesn't it? That's kind of the way the season treats a lot of your expectations. Your preview magazines smell so good when you crack them open for the first time, and that roster looks so pristine, and those WWW occasional L, more W's than L's that you drew in the blanks on those magazines, it just looks so neat and tidy, and then the season happens. You've got 22 moving pieces every play, sometimes 180 to maybe 200 of them a game if overtime is included. You've got balls that are shaped weird that bounce all kinds of different ways. You got a right guard, not fully healthy, you don't know about. You got a will linebacker not focused, missing his gap. And all of a sudden, results that shouldn't happen, according to what your paper says, happen. And it's gonna happen this Saturday. And I'm looking across the board and I'm trying to ask myself, as I failingly do every year, where is the upset coming? It's easy to know it's coming. Where is it going to come? That's the big question. Now, there's one game, a couple of them actually, that we have broken down and are going to break down tonight. So I wanted to start with those, but then I wanted to go a little bit further off the radar. So Cincinnati at Arkansas gets more fascinating by the day. That's the game that we're going to be at Saturday. And yet, I don't know a single person who has picked Cincinnati to win this game. I mean, I have not heard a single person, even in our comment section, that has picked Cincinnati and then put together a well-articulated, logic-based argument. It's easy to just say Cincinnati because you know nothing's on the line if you say it and you're wrong. But do you really believe it? Have any of you put money on Cincinnati money line? Have you seen any of the national types? Cause I haven't, I haven't picked them to win. I haven't seen anyone picking them to win. And the line is under a touchdown. This thing's in Fayetteville. Do you understand what's being disseminated there from odds makers? That means that they're playing this thing in Atlanta, a field goal probably is the the line on this thing. And that's with Desmond Ritter and the entire secondary gone for Cincinnati. And you've got all this returning hype and all these returning players and Kendall Browns and KJ Jefferson year two together. Sam Pittman, what a program. Most of these things have been said by me. And the line is, what is it right now, Jesse Six? It's under a touchdown. So, is that where the upset comes? And if it happens, how big an upset is that? I think it would be painted as a huge upset nationally, and yet your odds board right there is telling you, no, it's, it's a mild upset. That's what it would be. Categorically, it would be a mild upset. <sighs> I picked Arkansas to win. I picked Arkansas to cover. But I told you, our model has, I think, Arkansas minus seven and a half. So we're not that far off of what the Vegas number is. It's just going to be a really competitive game. Cincinnati's a really good team. I have told you a couple of times this week, there are players whose names you don't know on that team yet that are plenty good enough to play in any Power Five league. It's just that because they're not a national name brand type program, you don't know them. That doesn't mean they can't play. It just means you don't know they can play. And you'll find out Saturday when you watch this game, yeah, they lost a bunch of pieces. Yeah, they got some pieces that you have not heard of yet to fill those voids. The other one that we're going to break down later tonight, in a few minutes actually, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it, is Penn State at Purdue. It's a very short line. Penn State's favored by three and a half at most places right now. And Purdue, in many ways, stands the biggest opportunity to springboard off of a week 1 result because Purdue plays their toughest game in week 1 at least until maybe way later in the year and that's Penn State at home. Look at the rest of Purdue's schedule. Look at what they have down the road. They go to Wisconsin, that's not until October 22nd. That's the next time they would play a ranked opponent. We have Penn State power-rated top 10. The AP doesn't have them ranked. And I'm going to talk about kind of the way we differ in just a few minutes, but uh, do you know what kind of pressure is on the Penn State program? Talked about it many times. Two of their first three games are on the road. This one, two weeks later at Auburn. This game, this Penn State-Purdue game, will have big time every given Saturday tour ramifications attached to it. And I'm sure that James Franklin's feeling that pressure, by the way. And, well, he should, because we showed up to the Auburn game last year, and we probably, truth be told, were the driving factor that pushed them over the top and got that win. But hey, if they lose this game... Purdue's set up beautifully in the Big Ten West, but also if Penn State loses this game, it's kind of like the raft that looks great on shore. All the rafts you've ever seen built look great on shore. You take them out into the open ocean, and the waves and the ocean and the tides do what those sorts of things do. What if Purdue just wins? What if it's 31-30 and they win? And Penn State's offensive line's not what it should be, and they didn't run the ball for more than 100 yards with any individual back there. And a lot of the same... Ugly trends from last year carry over to this year. I'm going to break the game down in just a second. I'm just saying, how many people are out there picking Purdue? Not a whole lot. Some, I've seen some, not a whole lot. Now, I want to go a little off the radar. I just want you to be heads up. And I'm not picking any of these. I'll tell you what our model thinks in a second. I'm not picking any of these. I just want it to be acknowledged. You shouldn't be overlooking these. Central Michigan plays Oklahoma State in week one. That is the Jim McIlwain-led Central Michigan Chippewas, or Chippewas, the further north you go. I'm from West Central Georgia. There is a hard Waz on the end of Central Michigan's mascot for us. Good pass rush, which you probably don't know about because you have a life and you don't have time to watch Central Michigan. Really good secondary, which also you probably don't know about because you have a life and don't have time to watch Central Michigan. They have an experienced quarterback and also... There's this entire defensive coordinator situation at Oklahoma State. You know who was there, Jim Knowles. He's gone to Columbus, Ohio now. Does the country know, Jesse, I don't have a good feel for this, Colin. I don't have a good feel for this. How many people out there are aware that Derek Mason, by way of Auburn, by way of Vanderbilt before that, is now the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State? I don't know if a whole lot of you have been paying attention to that. Uh, there are some people in the coaching industry, as much as they respect Mike Gundy, that think he just lost a really integral part of that team. And here's the thing: Central Michigan can limit your possessions. Possessions will be the name of the game here. So, how many of them do they get? And also, uh, 22. Our model likes Oklahoma State. Uh, they paint Oklahoma State in the model. They uh, the model paints Oklahoma State minus 25. So, our our model likes Oklahoma State. I just want to put it out there: Central Michigan has some. Facets of that team that could make this game interesting to watch. NC State and South Carolina, I find in very similar positions going into week one. Let me talk about NC State for a second. Here's what you probably know about them. Uh, They got Devin Leary back. They're really good defensively. They won nine games last year, and they could win the ACC, right? All that checks out. What you probably don't know is anything about East Carolina. But see, NC State opens the road at East Carolina in just a few days. The spread is 11 and a half at most places. And so I look at this one and I wonder, how would it happen? How would the upset happen? You've also, with a bunch of these closer than it, they should be kind of spreads in week one, you normally always have a veteran presence at quarterback. You normally always have a decent stable of running backs. East Carolina checks both of these boxes. NC State is probably going to move up and down the field Fairly easily between the 20s. Where this could turn is if they get down the red zone and they have to settle for threes instead of sevens. That's how East Carolina sort of lulls you into a false sense of security. You've watched that game happen a million times before where someone's moving the ball at will. Think about Bama-Clemson 2018 title game. Bama's moving the ball up and down the field on Clemson. They cannot convert for the life of themselves when they get in the red zone and they get blown out. And after the game, you're asking yourself, but they were moving the ball so well. How did this happen? What well, happened by design? There are no illusion. There are, I guarantee you there's no illusion in the East Carolina coaching staff that, oh, we'll stone them. They're not going to stone them, but when they get down to the red zone, if you're opportunistic enough and you can harness that home energy, which, by the way, they will have. They hate NC State and Greenville with the passion of a 100 white hot suns. And if they can harness that and make it a fourth quarter game, Our model thinks the number's right, so our model paints North Carolina winning the thing by about 11 or 12 points. They got it to do. You're looking at the schedule there. Charleston Southern next week, Texas Tech the week after that, UConn the week after that, and then they go to Clemson, and most of you are not even making an appointment to watch NC State until that December, or not December, October 1st date against Clemson, so let's just, let's keep them on our radar Saturday, and Speak of the Gamecocks, whatever they're calling themselves up there these days. Georgia State comes into Columbia Saturday. I think this game's Saturday. <sighs> I got to be careful here because we, we, like, we like South Carolina. I'm not picking an upset. Don't worry about it. But look what I am doing. You see, you see me picking at my hand here? Got a little callous. Um, had a good day on incline bench, but it did contribute to the callus. And I'm picking at it because it really makes me uneasy that South Carolina has all this energy behind the program, and everyone's talking about that trip they're about to make to Arkansas in week two. And then they got Georgia coming in there in week three. And are they going to be two and one? Are they going to be one and one? Are they going to be three and oh? And no one in the world is talking about the fact that they're less than a two touchdown favorite at home against Georgia State in week one. Here's what you always should think about Georgia State. You should think they're probably better than I expect because they're probably littered with former SEC guys who, for whatever reason, didn't work out where they originally committed, and so they just they found a home in Atlanta. That's the kind of athlete Georgia State has. Jacksonville State's the same way. Uh, Troy, in some years, is the same way. These Southern G5-level teams, you always have to be careful with them. It's kind of the feel you should have when you play a service academy, but for different reasons. You never take those teams lightly. If you're, if you're in Alabama or if you're in uh, Georgia, if you're in these kind of areas where a lot of the fallback options for, for power five level talent that doesn't work out is you, then occasionally you can have a really good roster. They've got one at Georgia, or Georgia State. they got a bunch of all Sunbelt type players on defense that are back, and we got a whole bunch of newness offensively at South Carolina. So Spencer Rattler is the new quarterback there. There's a lot of hope. There should be. Uh, there's a lot of energy behind the program. There should be. What I wonder, as I look at our model, put South Carolina at minus 15, is how does this play out? This is, I'll tell you how I think it will. This is the kind of game where it's close first quarter. Georgia State may even have an early lead, for all I know. Close at halftime, uh, still competitive third quarter, and then through some chain of events, South Carolina gets themselves some margin in the fourth quarter and you end up, if you just surf box scores at the end of the day, you see, oh, South Carolina won. They, they may have even covered. Good for them. But yet, if you watch the whole game, you tell that buddy who just surfs box scores, dude, that was way closer than that final score makes it look. I'm telling you, there's some work still to be done at South Carolina. And that's okay. There's going to be work to be done for everybody. Uh, but that one I've got my eye on. Kentucky, the number two odds-on favorite in the SEC East preseason they are a 16 and a half point favorite at home against Miami of Ohio. And also, I mean, Mississippi State got a royal screw job at Memphis last year, so they played them in week one. And in Starkville, the Bulldogs, who we've got power rated number 20 in the preseason, they are a 15 point favorite. Heartbreak is inevitable, and I don't really even know what you guys yourselves can do to avoid it, but I just want you to be on guard. Be excited but be alert. That's how we should go into week one. Here's what else you should be looking for. Free stuff. Because I was on the horn with Academy Sports and Outdoors today. In fact, I've got tracking information. I won't bother to pull it up. I could pull it up right here in my email as I welcome everyone watching live. Make sure you like the video. I've got tracking information that tells me we have a hoard. And you know how rarely I use that word. A hoard of new Academy gift cards en route to Nashville, Tennessee, They will be here by tomorrow if FedEx comes through. And I will be able to take them on the road with me starting in week one in Fayetteville and throughout the national championship game this year. So you know the drill. A lot of you benefited from this last year. I I don't hide when I'm in these cities. I'm out and about, and I got pockets full of these Academy gift cards. If you see me, don't run up to me and just slap me on the back of the head, but feel free to approach me. I've got them. I'm ready to give them. And they are for you, not for me. In fact, it would be pretty unethical if I were to use these for myself. And believe me, I have not. So these are for you. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our exclusive partner, starting this Sunday. Our show will look different because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. We're really excited about that. I'll explain all that Sunday. But until then, it's time to gear up. Every one of you, in some shape, form, or fashion, you're either going to games or you're watching games. You need, whether you know it or not, something they have at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And until you've been there, you really don't even know what all they have. So either go to Academy Sports and Outdoors in person or go to academy.com, but make sure you go and support our exclusive partner, our friend and your friend. Thank you for making the show free because that's on them, that's not on us. let's break down some games. Thursday night's going to be a great night. We don't have a show Thursday night. That's how big Thursday night is. There are two must-see games. One of them is at eight o'clock Eastern time on Fox. It is Penn State at Purdue. This one's going to be really exciting. Ton of pressure. You've got a sleeper team in one division. You've kind of got a sleeper team in another division. Uh, This is the the wrong lower, so I'm just going to re-rack this whole thing. It's probably on me, Colin. It's probably on me. So, Uh, here's what I'm going to do. If you're watching live, just ignore all this. If you're watching the replay, you'll never know this happened. Three, two, one. Thursday night, we do not have a show. And that is because we've got two must-see games. One of them is 8 o'clock Eastern. That's the kick. The game is Penn State at Purdue. Penn State is a short favorite here, but a favorite of about three and a half points. We get these kind of games every year where you've got One style versus another style. You know, sort of the styles clashing sorts of things. And the whole question in this game is paper cut versus sledgehammer. What's it going to be? Because both of them can kill you technically, but it's normally the guy holding the sledgehammer that really gets to decide. Now, if he doesn't take care of business, if he doesn't use that sledgehammer properly, paper cuts, they can take you down. Uh, Purdue could paper cut you to death. Penn State can sledgehammer you to death. We get to find out which style, and it's not always a 100% uh, win factor for either side. We get to find out which style works out this Thursday night. Here's what we know, or at least we think we know. I think I know Penn State may have the best secondary that Purdue sees all season, which is noteworthy because we know what style of play Purdue is going to employ. Here's why that is very, very important. There are some good secondaries out there that Purdue can victimize, but the higher caliber of play you have in your secondary, the more you can turn other defenses concerns into your opportunity. See, a lot of defenses out there, when they know how many times they're going to have to defend the pass against Purdue, they get nervous because they don't think they stack up against it favorably. Penn State stacks up favorably. Not only that, but they get opportunity because the more times you put the ball in the air against a good secondary like Penn State has, the more opportunity they have to pick it off. To actually score, to generate points defensively. This to me is where this game could turn, by the way, Thursday night. We talk about Sean Clifford. We talk about that, that hopefully upgraded Penn State running game all you want to. Their defense could generate points, or at the very least, they could generate positive field position. So, ball in the air a ton. That's inevitable. How much can that Penn State secondary capitalize on it? And how, obviously, how much pressure can they generate up front defensively? The second thing I think I know is I think I know Purdue believes they can make Sean Clifford have to win the game for Penn State. And there is a reason for them to feel that way. And what I mean, of course, anyone who watched Penn State last year or anyone who's watched this show for any length of time understands they were woeful on the ground. One of, at the Power 5 level, the worst rushing attacks last year. They had injury, so there's an explanation for it, but the stats are what the stats are. In this case, the numbers do not lie to you. They are telling you the truth. They're painting an accurate picture. There was not a single game where an individual Penn State player rushed for 100 or more yards. That will change very quickly this year. Of that, I am certain. Will it be this game? That's what Purdue is banking no on. And they're banking that they can get that guy, Sean Clifford, into enough obvious passing downs to where if that guy comes into our house and beats us, given this team's track record, we've got to tip our cap. But what we're not going to let him do Is we're not going to let them put him in third and threes, third and twos, where the entire playbook is at their disposal. We've got to tilt the field our way, one way or the other, and we're going to make Sean Clifford do it. So they think they can do that. Now, here is the million dollar question. That's sort of that force of wills, that's that clash of styles, because Penn State, the entire spring, the entire summer, the entire fall, has been built around upgrading offensive line. They've been very careful how they talked about it around there, James Franklin, chief among them, and it's been built around enhancing talent in the backfield, and I believe they've done that definitively, now they've got to put it on display. Because they believe, talking about what Purdue believes, Penn State believes it's really irrelevant because their personnel will dictate that they have the advantage along the lines of scrimmage, their personnel in the backfield will dictate that they have the advantage there, and they believe Sean Clifford, and I would agree with this sentiment, they believe he gives them a balanced enough attack, offensively, where you can't sell out one way or the other if you're Purdue. Now, I would happen to believe that last sentiment, but this is all on paper. Like, they're going to play it Thursday night because you got to go prove it. Here's what I expect to see. I expect a very hot Purdue start. One of the real, real good coaches at scripting those first 10 or 15 is Jeff Braum. Uh, They are experts at harnessing that home environment. You've seen it. If you've watched Big Ten football for any length of time, I expect a fast, hot start from Purdue. You could see heads swimming for the first few minutes of that game, at least, for Penn State defensively. But at last, I think they'll settle in. And then I think that ground game will start to show signs that there will be improvement this year in that facet of Penn State's offense. I think that Purdue is plenty good enough to trade shots with them. Where I think this will turn is I think that Penn State's defensive ability to score points or at least generate negative plays, And that run game are tailor-made for taking this over in the fourth quarter. Here's what the model thinks. Let's take a look at what Vegas thinks in conjunction with our model. As you've seen on the bottom of the screen, Penn State is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And I've told you for a while, if I were betting this game with my gut, I would be all over Penn State. I have a good feel about it, but we specifically engineered this model to remove that. Because that's how you end up being a 50% better. So what the model thinks is Penn State minus four and a half. So it does lean Nittany Lions, but that model takes my gut and says, no, shut up, this is a competitive game. And what the data says, at least the way you've constructed it, is lean slightly Penn State. If someone makes you pick it in a pool, pick Penn State, but you're not betting your money on this. Well, I'm not betting any money on this. This is not a Ramen Noodle Express play, but we are taking Penn State. My personal feel is they'll win the thing by a touchdown or more but that's not what we base our strategy around here on. We base it on what the model says because the model's a lot better than me. So Penn State does win. Penn State does cover a very competitive game. Speaking of competitive, my, do you know what this post-it says? No, you don't, because I've got it turned the wrong way. This post-it is an update on our St. Jude's Children's Cancer Research auction. We've never done one of these before, but the company came to me a few weeks ago and said, would you be willing to do this? And I said, of course. So the charity, which 100% of the proceeds will go to is St. Jude's uh, Cancer Research, and specifically helping children there. So we're we're all about that. Every one of you has been touched by that in some shape, form, or fashion. We have too. So we're helping them out. What's on the line? A 30-minute Zoom chat with me. That's it. Nothing off limits except removal of clothing. And the only reason I had to agree to that is for legal reasons. Otherwise, it's for a good cause. I'm down for pretty much anything. But 30 minutes probably could go longer if the conversation's nice. Right now, as of 7.26 p.m. Central Standard Time on this Tuesday night, do you know what this number is up to? I challenged you to get it over $1,000 Sunday night. It is now at $1,225, and we've still got three days left. So I texted Director Colin, and I said, we are terrible at setting our goals too low on this show. We always fly past them. And you have flown past this. So there is a link in the show description. right now, if you're watching the live show, there is a link here. I've tweeted it out several times. Can we get this over 2000? Especially since you know the money's not going to me, it's going to St Jude. I think someone out there is um, I think someone's up to the challenge. So 2000. That's the new challenge. 2000. That's where I want to get. Uh, we are lapping everyone at the company, though. So hats off there. We are, we are getting margin on the rest of the company. I don't really even think they want to be competitive on this anymore. But good for you guys. Really, really good cause there. All right, let's move on here. I appreciate you being tuned in. Make sure you like the video uh, because most of you haven't yet. It's free, so like the video. The Clemson quarterback situation is interesting. That you knew in spring. In fact, that you probably knew when you saw DJ Uyangile underachieve last year and them sign Cade Klubnik, a five-star quarterback, And you may have thought to yourself, will he take the job outright during spring? No, that was never realistic. But what we did get to hear are whispers from Clemson during the spring. And we all knew that that was leading towards a season eventually. And the whispers in the spring were, okay, Clemson too good to keep off the field. Now, you did not hear that from Dabo Swinney. You didn't hear it from Streeter, the new offensive coordinator. No, of course you didn't. It was spring. And you don't get a whole lot of access. Then summer comes around. And then fall camp comes around, and all of a sudden the tones just slightly start to change. But the folks on the ground around Clemson majorly start to change their tune, from this could happen to "Uh, this is probably going to happen, not a matter of if, but more a matter of when, and that thing that they're talking about is a quarterback change. And so we arrive at week one. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Clemson's schedule, they play Georgia Tech On Monday night, which means you get to watch your team, whether it be on Thursday or Saturday or Sunday, you get all of your obligations out of the way, and you get to celebrate Labor Day in style, and then you come home, and what do you have? You got a big ACC matchup there in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, by the way. They're not playing this uh, at Grant Field. And you've got this question that will start to be answered, and that is, who is the answer long-term at quarterback this year for Clemson? The tune seems to have changed. My take in the spring was eventually it's going to be K Klobnik's team uh, for a combination of reasons. One, I think he's that good. Number two, it is very hard for me to envision a quantum leap in production from DJ in year two. Now, it's happened before, so I'm playing the percentages there that it doesn't happen. Again, I just think a lot of the problems he had last year were not the kind that I think are correctable, at least correctable to the point where you're going to be better than K Now. That doesn't mean K. Klubnick is their go-to option the moment he steps on campus. He's a true freshman, so there's a lot of a learning curve there. I want to visit some of the quotes most recently, and then I want to compare them with what we heard in the spring. So Dabo Swinney had a very interesting quote. This is within the last week, not spring. Quote, DJ is the starter, and he's earned that. If that changes, I guess everybody will know it. But our plan is for DJ to have an amazing season, and for Cade to get as much playing time as possible because he brings some special gifts to the table that will all be game by game. It loosened a lot. The phraseology loosened a lot. Brandon Streeter, the offensive coordinator, kind of similar, said, DJ's our guy right now, but Cade Klubnik is definitely going to play. Mind you, it's not week six. They have not teed it up yet. They have not played a meaningful down of football yet for Clemson this year. This kid's never started a game, he's never played a down in college, and that's what they're saying about him already. Now, this song makes perfect sense if you know how to read the sheet music. The music is telling you Cade Klubnik's eventually going to be the starting quarterback this year for Clemson, unless either a miracle happens and DJ Uyangalele has made quantum leaps and improvement that I don't think they've seen in practice, to be blunt, or there's injury in which case none of us could have seen that coming. So when will that happen? Well, I think there's a tendency, Colin, if you could throw up their schedule for a second, let me show you what I mean here. There's probably gonna be a tendency for some people to go to Clemson's schedule and you automatically think to yourself, oh, this will never manifest itself until they play a really good team. Do they play one in week one against Georgia Tech? Nah, Furman in week two? Nah, Louisiana Tech? That's not the way it works, guys. That's not the way this will work. Because if you'll remember last year, it didn't take facing top 10 competition to expose some of the flaws in that offense. Nor will it this year, if the flaws are still there. So let me paint you a little scenario. It's Monday night, it's Labor Day evening, you're mildly to moderately sunburnt. you've watched so much football over the span of the 72 hours prior, and there's Clemson versus Georgia Tech. Clemson could be up 35 to nothing at the half, and all's well. Or there's this other scenario, where it's 13 to 9 at the half, and DJ Uyangalaleh is like, Five for 14 with 72 yards passing and one turnover already. And what are people saying? Because this is not 2021. In 2021, it was we got to ride or die with him. It's 2022. And you know, you've got a stud, a true freshman stud, but a stud in Cade Klubnick. This is going to happen. If it's not in week one, it is my belief it's eventually going to happen. And that time's going to come, and Dabo Swinney is going to have to make a decision he's paid a lot of money to make. I'm glad that I don't have to make it. He's going to have to make a decision, and he knows once you go, there's no going back. That quarterback situation is so delicate. Everyone wants to hit the button so, so quickly, and there's a reason why coaches seem to drag their feet. They're not dragging their feet. They just have to be fully convicted in the decision because they know they have to live with the ramifications. And I just wonder how long it takes for us to get there. I believe we'll get there. I wonder how long. Dabo knows he's got an option this year. That's what I want you to be thinking as you're watching Clemson games. If you don't know anything else about that team, they're going to be supremely talented on the defensive front. Uh, He knows that he does not have to have a quarterback putting up Heisman numbers this year. What he has to have is a guy who can move the chains, a guy with poise, a guy with accuracy, a guy who doesn't turn the ball over, just a good decision maker that has an elite physical ceiling. Because of the teams, they'll eventually have to play down the road to get where they want to be. Is DJ Uyangalale that? He wasn't last year. I don't expect he'll be this year. Now, I don't know that Cade Klubnick will be. I think he's got the potential to, and I think he's got a higher ceiling, and I think we're going to find that out sooner rather than later. So that's an update on the Clemson quarterback situation. A quick reminder, really good pace tonight. uh, A reminder, we don't have a show on Thursday night because there are big games Thursday night, so it would be stupid for us to have a show. However, one more reminder, make sure you're following on Instagram, at Josh. because Friday Night lines is back. What is that? I haven't explained that tonight, have I? Uh, 10-second version. That is where we take the model, and I go live on Instagram. It's later in the evening on Friday. I'll announce the time about an hour beforehand, and I take questions from you for about 20 minutes on games that you're thinking about betting that we have not talked about on the show, and I'll tell you what the model thinks Full disclosure, I'll tell you if the model says it's a play on or a not, and, and I'll give you some thoughts on them. So, it was a really, really popular thing we did last year. It is not sanctioned or condoned or endorsed by management around here in any way. That's why it's on my Instagram channel instead of anyone else's, at Josh. Let's break down another game. Uh, you thought we forgot about this game the other night. We didn't. We, we just didn't do it the other night because it's a Sunday night game. But boy, we got a big chunk of our audience that roots for one of these two teams. Florida State versus LSU is a Sunday night game. For those of you who didn't know, this is a 7.30 Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. It is for this reason that we're starting our Sunday night show at 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central. So just keep that in mind. Brian Kelly is the head coach at LSU. Now, for those of you who have stuck with us, who live the no off-season life, you know that. I think most people know it, but you know, there's an entire sea of people out there who don't come back to the college football table until August. So this is still a new concept to them. and then None of us have seen him coach a game in purple and gold, so we finally get to see that in the Superdome, a neutral site, I'm told, the Superdome in Louisiana, and we get to see probably Jaden Daniels at quarterback for LSU. Now, Brian Kelly is playing it close to the vest or close to the chest, as some of my buddies would say, but we think... And we have for a couple of weeks thought that Jaden Daniels is going to get the first look at quarterback there. And that has been backed up by pretty much everyone I've talked to around the program. So here's what we need to watch in this game. If you could just tell me one thing, and that one thing was how will LSU's defensive line match up against this offensive line of FSU? If you could just tell me that, if you could confirm my suspicion there, I probably wouldn't even need to watch the game. It is my belief. That offensive line is the biggest, bright, blinking red light on this FSU team. Fan base knows it. This is no mystery, but if you haven't been following FSU closely, they've had some injury, uh, misfortune, I guess, especially on the interior. And there is the presence of guys like Mason Smith at LSU, for example, a guy who's versatile enough and supremely talented enough to just shift all around on that front like some of these Clemson guys have been able to do in the past that you could reach a critical mass of um, unblockability, shall we say, Sunday night to where the game is wrecked. And that's a risk that Florida State runs. Now, there there are ways to window dress your way around that, but the bottom line is if you're continually dealing with surge up the middle, offensively, there's really no page in your playbook that accounts for that the lines, on those routes, they get really zigzag because you've got to cut them off early because your receivers don't have adequate time to even complete their square ins and square outs and post And So it could get a little sideways. So that's the first thing. If you could just tell me that, I wouldn't need to go through the rest of the breakdown. The most basic reason why Florida State could end up winning this, though, is the reason. So it sounds kind of commonsensical, but if you think about it, there's no one player. Sometimes when you do breakdowns or you're trying to bet a game, You're trying to look for this one edge, and you're trying to look for this one guy that's going to be the reason FSU is going to win because of. And then there's one name in the blank, and it sounds really good. It's like a fortune cookie. It's like bumper sticker logic. I don't know that Florida State has that, but what they could have in the aggregate is enough small gains just through continual progression, slow progression, but progression under Brian or uh, Mike Norvell, they could have enough that the incremental gains add up in the aggregate to a good enough product to where the team's just flat out better than you thought they'd be. It's no one guy. There's not one guy or one position group that's gotten 35% better than last year. They're just a little bit better and a little bit better because that's what they've done every year under him so far. And if that has started to maybe scale just a little bit, there's a little bit steeper slope to the progression, this is the kind of game where it could show up. The line's three. LSU's favored by three in Louisiana, so there are holes on this LSU team too. We don't know if they're going to be able to run the ball. No one in Louisiana knows if they're going to be able to run the ball. No one knows fully what to expect at quarterback. Think you got a good one? Think you got a really good stable of receivers? Speaking of those receivers, that is the other potentially glaring mismatch here, if there are mismatches. The first one's that LSU defensive line against a vulnerable, to say the least, FSU offensive front. The other one is This stable of receivers for LSU could really go to work Sunday night. And these are two factors that do not lend a ton of confidence to me backing Florida State. But you do have to keep in mind, this could just as easily be an argument made the other way around. LSU is starting a true freshman at left tackle. He's a really good one. His name's Will Campbell. And they feel so good about him, he's kind of been entrenched during camp, and they've been able to work some guys elsewhere and cross-train here and cross-train there. So listen, this could be just an immediate plug and play. We see him every few years. Bama's had several of them. LSU may have one, and Will Campbell. Uh, but you still have a true freshman there. So at the very least, you know, Jared Verse, for example, is a transfer that Florida State thinks they hit the lottery on. He'll match up against Campbell, probably a fair amount Sunday night. What if there's vulnerability there? What, what if that's the matchup advantage up front that maybe you don't quite see coming in? that leads to a blindside strip sack that leads to maybe a plus one or plus two turnover margin for Florida State over the span of four quarters. And that's how they win a 26 to 23 ball game. That's in the cards. We're just trying to play percentages here and figure out what's more likely. So let's take a look at the model. You see what Vegas thinks, LSU minus three. As you know, because I gave this out last week, LSU is one of our Ramen Noodle Express best bets. Much as I try to paint the scenario for you, When I think about the line of scrimmage advantage for LSU's defensive line, and when I think about the potential perimeter advantage for LSU's wide receivers, I think that they're going to stretch it a little bit. And so we're taking LSU to win. We're taking them to cover. The model has LSU minus six. So there's a little bit of margin difference here between our models thinking and the Vegas thinking. And we are therefore going to not only take LSU to win and cover, that's one of our best bets of the week. So give us the Tigers a happy start for the Brian Kelly era. And we will do another show before that game happens. Right before it happens. Chalice of Supremacy are on the line this week. I've got a brand new shipment in. They're here as we speak. So I've already shipped some of them out to some recipients. Chalice of Supremacy is the singular. Chalice of Supremacy, the plural. You get one, not because you purchased it, because they're not for sale. But when you do something that I think spreads the good word of this show... If you market our show in public to such a degree that people take notice, a lot of you stormed College Game Day last year and you got kicked out, got us banned from Game Day, but that's okay because it accomplished the mission, I send you a Chalice of Supremacy, which is that little, that little glass or maybe even a crystal figurine. Let's just call it crystal, that little crystal figurine there. You can't see it all that well, but you got the Pate State logo carved there. It says Pate State Chalice of Supremacy. We don't send many of those out, guys. It is an honor to be able to get one of those. We should put serial numbers on them. I of Supremacy on the line. you got to prove to me that you've earned one, and it's, it's a very steep standard, but if you meet one, yes, you will be sending me your address, and I will be sending one of those to you, and the opportunities are all season long. It starts this week. Let's go back to Thursday night. Another Thursday night must-see primetime game. West virginia at Pitt. The Backyard Brawl is back. This is a 7 o'clock Eastern Time kickoff on ESPN. It's one of two must-see games, Penn State-Purdue being the other one. I did something today I normally don't do. They have not played this game since 2011, and I have missed it. So I did something I don't normally do. I took a dive into the history books. And now, of course, there's no threat at all in forgetting history. I mean, when has history shown us that knowing history benefits you, right? Paper pop time, listen to this absurd stat. I gotta take you all the way back to the Great Depression. From 1924 to 1946, that's 20 games. There was a little break there for something called World War I. Read about it, kids. But for 20 games, Pitt went 19 and one in this stretch. West Virginia scored 66 points in 20 games. So I scurried down the hallway to stats and info, and I said, what is 66 divided by 20? And they said, 3.3. There was a two-decade stretch where West Virginia averaged 3.3 points per game. They went 1-19. in 19, And that, not so coincidentally, it was during the Great Depression. So we think, we think that Neil Brown and company, he's named JT Daniels, starting quarterback. We think they'll score more than 3.3. There's no guarantee. But we think they'll score more than 3.3 this Thursday night. What are we getting at quarterback here? Uh, You're going to, let me spare you, okay? You're going to see this headline the entirety of Thursday. So you got JT Daniels starting at quarterback for West Virginia. You got Keaton Slovis starting at quarterback for Pitt. What do they have in common? They both played at USC. Yes, it's a great story. Yes, the casuals will drool over it. The reason why I sound so ho-hum is because we've been here for months. We know this. We've seen it coming. So we're not going to waste time talking about that. We're not a big storyline show. Just kind of care what happens on the field. So, the one thing that I want to remind you, with JT Daniels, as a lot of lesser-informed folks are going to tell you, he either got benched or didn't start for Georgia last year, because the mind plays funny tricks on you when it comes to revisionist history. JT Daniels started for the national champ last year. Then he got knocked out. Then he didn't finish the season, and there was this whole external drama around that, that very few people know the whole story behind, and we're not going to be sharing that whole story on tonight's show. But he was the one Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin chose as their starting quarterback to begin last year's eventual national championship season for Georgia. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. Keaton Slovis has played way more football than JT Daniels. But this is the much bigger story. Keaton Slovis starting at Pitt because of who he replaces. And that's a first-round quarterback in Kenny Pickett. And there's a lot of production there that has to be replaced. Now, this leads into what I think is the single biggest factor in this game, and that is a lot of people are going to yell in your face, close proximity alert, they're going to yell in your face, Pitt won the ACC last year. And your proper response should be, I couldn't care less. It's not to discount Pitt. Far be it for me to do that. They had a great season last year. They got a great team this year. It's not discounting what they accomplished last year. It's just telling them, this has 2022 on the marquee. This game is yet to happen, so what they did last year doesn't matter. That's just filler because you don't know anything more about their team. So what is their team this year? Well, their team is without that first-round starting quarterback. Their team is without the Belitnikoff winner in Jordan Addison. And their team is without an offensive coordinator that Pat Narduzzi himself couldn't care less about because he took every opportunity to throw Mark Whipple under the bus once he exited stage right which may seem peculiar to you. Why would a head coach whose offensive coordinator helped him win the conference last year despise his offensive coordinator so much? Who knows? That's between those two, and neither one of them took the invitation to hash it out here on the show. Whipple's out. I think Kignetti is the offensive coordinator that's in there now. And the reason why I'm mentioning all this, even though those things are also in the past, is to tell you if they're not doing anything they did last year, if they don't have the critical pieces they had last year, then what they accomplished this year will have nothing to do with last year. So I don't care that they won the ACC last year. It's irrelevant to this Thursday night and the rest of the season. Quarterbacks aren't the main focus for me here. No, you're not going to hear that very much leading into this game, but Pitt is going to be fully committed to running the football. If you missed what Pat Narduzzi said, and he said it loud, and he said it a lot the past few months, he did not like how frequently they threw the ball last year. He did not like that they didn't have the kind of control over games and and the grip on games that running the ball at will gives you, and he wanted to get back to it. Well, guess what they're going to do Thursday night? They're going to try and get back to that. And that, I think, may play a little bit into West Virginia's hands because they have sort of quietly up there in Morgantown been retooling their defensive front, and it's been a focus for them. Nationally, this is not a story that anyone's talked about. They are very big by West Virginia standards. They are very big along their defensive front. And they've had to be, because there's been a shift in the style of play in the Big 12. And so if you look at their depth chart, you're going to see some 300-pound guys and some high 200-pound guys instead of some undersized guys that once upon a time you were told you need for the pinball offenses in the Big 12. Well, that's not what they do so much anymore. And so you got to build, and you got to have strong interior defensive line play, and they've got them there. they got a couple 310, 315-pounders. So I wonder... As this game starts to unfold, how successful is Pitt running the ball? There will be no trickery. They're going to run it right at them. Uh, They're going to first make West Virginia prove that what I just said matters. They're going to make them prove that they can stand up to the run. If they do, that's when it gets fun to me. If, if that doesn't happen, then it's, it's academic and Pitt will go ahead and win the game. But here's the balancing act. So that's part one. Part two of the balancing act is... West Virginia needs to test this secondary. Very famously, this secondary has been kind of feast or famine. Pitt's secondary. And when they're good, they're really good. But man, they can give up some big plays through the air. Here's the risk. JT Daniels in this offense, a lot of newness. What if they're not clicking? What if you just string a bunch of three and outs together? Short drives, five plays or less early in the game. And all of a sudden, the critical factors of the game start tilting. We get to the end of the first quarter. Pitt's run 22 plays. You've run seven. We get to halftime. Pitt run 46 plays. You've run 19. Well, that doesn't bode well for the second half. That plays right into their hands, but yet at the same time, you think that your best matchup against them is probably making plays against that secondary. Uh, this is football, by the way. This is an age-old concept. There is the whole risk-reward proposition. That's where I think this one will hinge. Number one, West Virginia's size up front and their ability to limit the pit ground game. Make Pitt throw the ball on you to win. You know, make make Pat Narduzzi put his back to the field on third down because he is that anti-throwing the football. And then secondly, have some success through the air. It doesn't take you long to go back and watch JT Daniels when he's been healthy in his career and make you say, wow, if he throws the ball like that, then look out. Yeah, look out. Make sure he's healthy. Well, he is. It's week one. So let's take a look at what the model thinks here. Vegas number, uh, Pitt is a favorite of seven and a half. The model is shorter than that. We've got Pitt minus four and a half, and I'm even more bullish than that. So I have not done this much in week one, but not only have we taken West Virginia plus the points as one of our Ramen Noodle Express best bets, I think they're actually gonna go win the game. So I'm gonna take West Virginia to win the game outright, close one, but that would really calibrate a lot of what week one could be. If this happens on Thursday night, uh, the, model, the model for the record does like Pitt, does like Pitt to win, just shorter. I am going to take the added step and put a little unit on the money line there. So we're going to take West Virginia plus the points. We're going to take West Virginia to win the game outright. And if we are correct, let's be the first to congratulate Neil Brown and that coaching staff. Never been done before. Congratulating a coach for a game he's going to win 48 hours from now. But we are a bold show. They're watching us in Ada, Oklahoma, Phoenix, Arizona, and Greenville, South Carolina. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. We need to recap. Our best bets for week one, ramen express time. These lines have moved. Not my problem. You gotta get on them when we give them out. And we gave these out last week because we knew they'd move. We got West Virginia plus seven. We just talked about that game. Louisville minus three and a half. Louisville is playing at Syracuse. I think that is an extremely square number, full disclosure. But I cannot ignore what our model says. Our model thinks that number's way off. I mean, like a touchdown off. So we're still taking Louisville minus three and a half. LSU minus three. We've been on LSU for a week. I I think you can still get that number, though. Now, here's one that benefits you. We've got Kent State plus 21 and a half. They're playing Washington. I think you can get a 22 and a half or a 23 out there now. We just like it more there. I mean, model loves Kent State. We've got that thing, I think it's 16. So, I don't know what in the world they're seeing that we're not, but that model has uh, built a reputation enough where we'll trust it. So, we're going to take Kent State at Washington. That's a late game. You feel like staying up uh, at an irresponsible hour for week one on Saturday night, stay up and watch Kent State. Also, one more reminder: Saturday. It is going to be a very fun day for everyone. Just remember, as you're as you're kind of rounding out your betting experience, I've got something to share with you. We've been working on this in total silence. Hustle in silence. That's kind of what we do around here. I have been working with our, uh, it's going to sound weird when I say this, but it's accurate, our data science team. And we have developed a new product for you. It is going to stream on this YouTube channel during the day on Saturday. It's not a show. it's It's nothing like you've ever seen us do before. I know a ton of you are into live betting. There is a ton of money to be made in live betting. And I, with our data science team, have developed the ability to build a live version of our model. So there are going to be select games that we take and we plug into that model and we stream on this channel to where you get a live projection, play by play, of what the model now thinks about the game. So Clemson, Georgia Tech, Monday night, you know, if the model thinks Clemson minus 23, but Georgia Tech starts out 10 to nothing and you want to know what that model may think now, you're going to have it. I'll do you one better. We even have hypothetical scenarios built in on the model. So if you're watching LSU FSU and you think you may want to live bet this thing, Florida State feels a little better now. They feel pretty sure about themselves. If LSU goes three and out here, I'm probably going to bet this. That model will tell you what the updated projection will be if LSU goes three and out, if they kick a field goal, if they score a touchdown. So not only are we going to tell you in real time what the new projection on the game is play by play, We're gonna have some hypotheticals built in there for you so you can get ahead of the curve. I think it's gonna be a valuable asset. It is to be used as a resource. You're not to live and die with this thing, but it's very good for those of you who watch games at home, just 95% of the audience, it's gonna be a really good tool to just have pulled up on a monitor there and you can keep an eye on it. And if you're into live betting anyway, then you want one more resource on your side, that model will be there for you. It won't be this huge model with every game on it, but we'll have some select games that I think will have a lot of attention on them. Uh, You asked for this, and I found out that we could do it, so we've done it. We'll have some kinks to work out in week one. We'll have this thing worked out by week two or week three. So just check out the YouTube channel on Saturday. Appreciate you guys so much. Make sure you give us a like on the way out. We've had big audiences the entire summer. Most of you never left, so I appreciate it. For those of you who have come back, do not miss a show, and make sure you are subscribed everywhere you can be. That is the name of the game for us subscriptions on the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and then, and this is probably the most critical part, I got to whisper, go take your mom's phone, go take your dad's phone, go take your sister's phone, Cousin Elroy, if he's in town, take that phone, get in there when they're not looking, and subscribe. Is it ethical? I don't know. Is it helpful? Absolutely. So just go do it and apologize later. Thank you guys so much. No show Thursday night. Check out Friday Night Lines on the Instagram channel, Friday Night. We'll be back here Sunday night, 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central. And then we'll be back to normal after that. For Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your evening. Take care and God bless.